you stand with me, please, for the reading of the Word of God? Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the encouragement this morning to set our eyes on you. To do what Moses is said to have done in the book of Hebrews and that is to be able to see the invisible God. Wow, Lord, that's amazing. With the eyes of faith, we see you. Yes, open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you, O God. When Jehoshaphat went to battle, the prophet told the king to put your eyes on the Lord. Lord, we need to do that every day throughout the day. We need to look at what is not seen and not just the stuff that's seen. Because what's not seen is eternal. Thank you for the word of God that helps us to see you. And Lord, as I come now to preach on a delicate subject, but a necessary one, I thank you, Lord, that you are here to walk with us through our struggles. You will never leave. You will never forsake us. So open the eyes of our heart so that we can see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I'm preaching on the subject of the power of lust. The power of lust. And with this series that we're calling Sexual Healing, we know that we all need healing. That none of us are above the need to be healed. Because when we think about lust and when we think about love, so often, we're confused. Back in 1991, Luther, or as some would say, Lufa, came out with a song called The Power of Love. The Power of Love. And when Big Luther sang this song, it became one of his perennial hits. But when we think about love, again, we get it confused with lust. You see, both words start with the letter L. Love and lust have four letters in the word. People get it confused. Um, both words involve passion. Both words involve fire, have been described as fire or fiery, fiery lust or a 
fiery love. But here's where they're different. One word is constructive, whereas the other word is destructive. So the power of love, the power of lust, they get confused. But it's up to us to try to understand the difference because when I was younger, one of the first sermons I heard my father-in-law preach before he became my father-in-law, Dr. Alan McFarland, was a message out of the book of Proverbs, and he was preaching about lust. And he had this little saying that said, love can wait, lust cannot. If it's love, it will last, but if it's lust, it will pass. We get these two confused all the time where people think they love someone, but they really lust someone. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did 2,000 years ago what I am doing today. And that is he preached on lust. So some might say, Pastor, oh boy, I'm praying for you. Brother Chauncey said, Pastor, you okay this morning? You look a little heavy. Well, if you were in my seat, you might feel the same way too. Because preaching the oracles of God, especially on these types of topics, is not easy. So many things go through your mind, and you're praying for people who are hurting and struggling and need help and encouragement and deliverance. And then you're thinking of your own shortcomings. And you say, Lord God, if you can use anything, Lord, please use me today to try to help someone along the way. Because as we're going to see today that Jesus preached on lust, which gives me the permission to preach on lust. Amen. I said amen. amen. And in the Sermon on the Mount that begins in Matthew chapter 5, and it goes all the way over to uh, Matthew chapter 7, one of the greatest sermons people have said has ever been recorded. In this sermon, Jesus had over 25 different topics in the Sermon on the Mount. I said he had over 25 different topics in the Sermon on the Mount, and they sat on a mount and not in an air conditioning building to hear him preach and expound on 25 different topics. Can somebody thank God for AC? (laughs) Amen. But when you're hungry for the word, because in this sermon he says, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled So if you've got to sit on a mountainside to hear the master preach, so be it. If you've got to drive 45 minutes to hear a word from God at your church, then so be it. You're coming to meet with God. You're coming to worship God. And Jesus preached 25 different topics, which meant that there were 25 different discipleship moments in the Sermon on the Mount. Because for us as disciples, everything is a discipleship moment. Everything is a teaching moment moment. Every moment is a time to learn about the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the standards of God. Every day, everything is a teachable opportunity for a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to see three things today from one of these topics that Jesus talked about in the sermon 
on the mount about lust, the power of lust. Number one, we're going to see the letter of the law. It's the first thing we're going to see. And then secondly, we're going to see the look of lust. And then thirdly, the lesson to be learned. So whatever you don't pick up today, Lord willing, if the Lord allows, my wife and I will review on Wednesday in Bible study. Uh, and then we'll preview what's coming next week as we talk about modern day eunuchs next Sunday, if the Lord allows. But I hope that you're ready as we jump into point number one, and that is the letter of the law. So look at verse 27. Jesus said, because in my Bible it's in red, so that means Jesus said it. Uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. So he's speaking to hundreds of people perched upon the mountaintop. And, and even if you go to Israel now, in many of these places that it was believed that Jesus ministered or did something significant, uh, the Roman church would build churches on those locations. So when we went to Israel, there was a church right there where it was believed the Sermon of the Mount happened. And so my wife and I went there, and it's a beautiful place. And you think about the acoustics and how his voice could carry without a microphone. Again, God was just all in that. And so in that Sermon on the Mount, he had to talk about the letter of the law. And when he said, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus is quoting from what has been called the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Um, and this is the seventh commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, when Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets of God in order to give the people of God, Israel, uh, their moral code for living which would set them apart, make them distinct from all the other nations that pretty much were hedonistic nations, ungodly, immoral nations. But here Israel has this moral code that's found in these 10 commandments, commandments that deal with their relationship with God and relationships with one another. And the seventh commandment, Jesus said, you, you've heard of old that you shall not commit adultery. Now, within Jesus' audience in that day were people who felt like, believe it or not, you guys, that they did not sin. Okay. Religious leaders in particular, your Pharisees, your Sadducees, your scribes, your lawyers, all these people, uh, they felt that they didn't sin. Or let's put an asterisk right here. They didn't sin like other people, okay? And so there was a self-righteousness about them. They believed that in terms of the law, they kept it. They believed in terms of the law that they obeyed it fully. I'm going to read a couple passages to you to let you know that that was the mindset of many of the people during that time. Why is that? They had a low view of the law and a high view of themselves, can you dig it? They had a low view of the law and a high view of themselves. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go over to Luke chapter 18. Again, Jesus knew his audience. 
And that's why some people in his audience had trouble with him because he came as a doctor to heal. But there were people who didn't think they were sick. He came as a savior to save from sin. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. But if people don't think they sin, why do they need a savior? And so Jesus tells a parable. Look at Luke 18, verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. There it is. That they were righteous and despised others. Two men, Jesus said, went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So when this Pharisee goes to the temple or goes to church, his eyes are on himself And his eyes are on other people. He's just saying God, but his eyes are not on God. He's going through the motions. He's going in and church is all about him. It's not about God. And even in terms of himself, it's not about his own brokenness. And he's going to try to one-up the guy next to him, thinking that he knows the guy's heart and conditions and situation, and judge the person all in the sight of God. Jesus is trying to make an example to his audience. But then in verse 12, the upside down nature of the kingdom, how the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. Watch this. Uh, After he says in verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, verse 13, standing afar off, will not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you see the difference? He's in the presence of God. He sees God and thus he sees himself. He has fallen short of the glory of God and he admits to God what is true. I am a sinner. He beats his breast, can't even lift his head. And look what Jesus says. I tell you, verse 14, this man went home down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He went home happy on that Sunday, happy on that Shabbat, that Saturday, because he humbled himself in the presence of God, and God lifted him up and even justified him or declared him as righteous. But the religious guy, the Pharisee who knows all the book, all the law, all the rituals, all the commands. No, no, no. He went home the same way he came in, lost and full of himself. And so Jesus is talking about the letter of the law. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. They had a low view of the law because they thought that they didn't sin. They thought that they didn't live like that. These kind of people are righteous in the eyes of men, but they're not righteous in the eyes of God. A lot of us spend our time being more concerned with what people think about us than what God knows about us. He knows it all, so why try to fool the master? We just talked about how he's omnipotent, but he's also omniscient. He knows everything about us, stuff we don't even know. And when Jesus said, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. In this sermon that has 25 different points, 
he uses this phraseology six times. Six times. You've heard it said. Or this is what the Ten Commandments say or the Old Testament says. You have heard it said. And what he's about to teach the people is, I want to take you beyond the letter of the law. Because y'all know what the book says, but a lot of y'all aren't doing what the book says. But you also think that you're better than other people, which really means you don't know what the book says. You may know it in your mind, but you really don't know it. You've heard it said, but I say unto you, six times. You've heard the letter, but I say unto you, what's Jesus doing? He's trying to get them to go beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, to the intent of the law. Because there will be some people who will say, hey, 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 I've never committed adultery. And so they think they're better than people who have. But Jesus is going to hit them, and we'll hit that definitely in in the next point, that just because you didn't do that, did you do this? You've heard it said not to commit murder. But if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. So Jesus is going deeper here to try and see conviction come upon the self-righteous crowd. You see, understanding that you're not right with God is the first step in becoming right with God. You don't get right with God if you already think you're right with God. That's why if you can't see your sickness, the doctor can't heal you. But when you say, Lord, here I am, I'm a sinner, now the master moves in because he came to seek and save the lost. He came to save sinners from their sin. My, my, my. The law, the letter of the law. 613 commandments in what we call the Old Testament. 613. You had laws that dealt with morality, and then you also had laws that dealt with their worship or the ceremonial laws, and then you had societal laws, how to deal with one another. All these things, 613 all together. And so they focused on the letter, but they missed the spirit and intent of the law. Let me tell you something about the law. The law is good. Paul would tell us that the law is righteous, the law is holy, but none of us can keep the law. Mm -mm, mm -mm, Mm-mm, mm-mm, But there were people in Jesus' day who thought they could keep it. And there might be a few in our day who think that they can keep it too. Uh, But the law is like a mirror, a mirror. A mirror is an instrument that shows you what you look like. But it can't fix what's wrong. When you wake up in the morning and (laughs) crust here, (laughs) crust here, you know, hair everywhere, the mirror tells the truth about yourself before everybody else gets to see the truth about you. Before you know, you, you apply some things to fix what the mirror shows you. The law shows you yourself. It shows me myself. The law, put it like this. The law is a setup. God gave the law so that sin might become exceedingly sinful. Man was sinful before the law came. 
because the law is written on the hearts of men, the moral code that's stamped in all of us because we're made in the image of God. We, we blush when things are, you know, because we have emotions, when things are wrong or whatever. We, we know things are wrong. We feel it. It's written in our heart. But the law came so that sin might become exceedingly sinful. It sets you up so that you look up and say, Lord, I need some help. It sets you up to look up because you can't keep it. And the book of James says if you break it in one place, you're guilty of having broken all of it. So all of us are guilty before God, but not Jesus' crowd. They thought that they were holier than thou. So Jesus says, okay, you've heard it said. Y'all not even understanding the letter. So let me take you to the second point here about the spirit of the law. The second point is the look of lust. Okay, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, verse 28, but I say to you, and I can say these things because I'm the one who wrote those things. You know, some people say, is he trying to change the law? No, he's not trying to change the law. According to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, in the sermon, he says, don't think I came to destroy the word of the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And so, 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 so I can make some, uh, uh, I can expound on what I wrote to Moses to try to teach you the intent and the spirit of what was going on. So I say to you, which is why this sermon ends with them saying, wait a minute, this preacher here, he speaks with authority. This preacher here is different from these other rabbis. He speaks with authority. Well, you can speak with authority when you are authority. When you're God in the flesh, this is your word. And so he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's raised the bar. He's raised the standard from the spirit, from the letter rather, to the spirit of the law. So let's go back over to Luke chapter 18. Because, again, this is ludicrous. Let's go back to Luke 18. It's ludicrous for people to think that they keep the law perfectly, especially as it pertains to adultery. Luke 18, I'm going to go down to verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Now, Jesus is not saying he's not good. What he's saying in this conversation is, son, I know you're used to getting your way because you're rich. I know you're used to schmoozing and charming people. Don't play me like that. Coming up here calling me good teacher. Dig this. Only God is good. So if only God is good and you're calling me good teacher, are you saying that I am God? Son, don't play with me. Can I keep reading? He says, no one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments right out the gate. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. That means lie. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 21, are you ready? And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. <laughs> Hebrew man, are you crazy? You kept all of that from your youth. 
When you really begin lying when you're young, when you really begin not honoring your mother and father, but you're thinking because you have a low view of the law and a high view of yourself that is distorted and not in touch with reality. And so Jesus says, okay, okay, young fella, you you think you're doing all of this. Okay, go sell everything you got. Give it to the poor, not your family, and then follow me. You have riches in heaven. This passage in Luke and even in Matthew, it says that the young homeboy walked away. Sad. Because he was rich, he had a lot of possessions. Meaning that he was breaking the first commandment. You shall not have any gods before me. What was his God? Money. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You can't serve God and money. So when it came down to it, you thought you were doing it, but bro, you sick. Walked away. And I love this about Jesus. He didn't chase him. He didn't beg him. Oh, come back, please. I'll change the prescriptions of the kingdom to accommodate you. No, that's American Christianity. No, Jesus is like, no, no, no. We're not changing. You got to change to this. He made his choice. He walked away. So, pastor, what are you saying about the look of lust? Well, you may say, I have never committed adultery by the letter of the law. But I don't think you can say you have never lusted after another person. Mm -hmm. I heard one amen. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a setup. The law is a setup to make you look up and say, I need help. I need help. So you haven't committed adultery, but have you ever lusted? And in verse 28, when he says, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her, the purpose of your looking is to lust. The word lust is a combination of Greek words, Epithumia, epi upon uh, thumia, desire. So you're placing your desire upon someone. And in this case, Jesus is not talking about fornication per se. He's talking about adultery. And adultery is when someone has sexual relations with someone either in a marriage covenant or outside of their marital covenant. Oh, I didn't say it clearly. I didn't say it clearly. Uh, Adultery is when, if you're married, you leave your marriage to have relations, sexual relations with someone else outside of your marriage. You are defiling the covenant. You, You have brought desecration on the covenant. Or you're someone that's not married and you are having sexual relationships with someone who is. So this is adultery. And the reason why this is so serious is because if you don't deal with this, and as we're going to see in the next point, cut this off, it may lead to what we see in verses 31 and 32. And that is divorce happening because of sexual immorality in the marital covenant. Ah, so, so Jesus is saying, look, look, 
You look on a woman to lust for her. You have desire for her. You've committed adultery already in your heart. And as Brother Dan said earlier, it's the heart. Everything starts in the heart, in the mind. So when we get our minds right, our hearts right, it has bearings on how we live and what we do. And so lust, lust is a strong desire. It's a strong desire. Now, on Wednesday, Doreen and I will talk about how all lust is not bad lust. So we'll get into the scriptures on Wednesday, and we'll show you how uh, even Jesus used this word epithumia, okay, and the context in which he used it when he said, I desire to eat the Passover with you, okay? So, so, so that's a good thing when you have a, a, a passion to be a pastor. Anyone who desires the office of pastor desires a good thing. So, so all desire or all lust isn't bad lust, but usually when you read the scriptures, lust is the lion's share of the mentions, they are negative. The desire that is strong is often immoral and illicit, forbidden. Jesus' audience got as silent as this audience is right now. <laughs> Lust is the ongoing sexual preoccupation with the person that you're not married to. It's the ongoing preoccupation sexual preoccupation of a person you're not married to. You're craving them. You're desiring them. You're thinking about them. You're daydreaming about them. You're imagining what it would be like if you could be the husband or the wife to them. And so it's a consuming thing, a consuming fire. And so Jesus talks about that. If you look with the intent to lust after someone, You've committed adultery in your heart in the eyes of God. Now, now I got I to say something real quick right here. I got to put, put a note right here. Uh, uh, acknowledging someone's beauty is natural. But lusting after someone's beauty is sinful. Are you with me or am I by myself? Acknowledging beauty is natural. But lusting after someone's beauty is sinful. I got to say this because some Christians are so holy, or so they think, that they can't acknowledge beauty. <laughs> and some Christians are so sleazy. Anyway, let me keep going. Genesis chapter 29, verse 17. The Bible says, the Bible, Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. You see that? It's in the book. Who wrote it? Moses. Moses. And Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, they compared it to Leah. The Bible says Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Both of them made an image of God. Both of them beautiful people, but Rachel was striking. We're all beautiful, but some of us are striking. People like, you know, Denzel and uh, Idris, myself, we are striking. <laughs> My wife knew I was going to do that. She, she loves when I do that. But Moses wrote that, man. So you can acknowledge a beautiful woman. Man, she's beautiful. 
Okay. But hold on, though, hold on. Genesis 39, 6 says, now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Who wrote that? Moses. Uh-oh. A man writing about another man being handsome in form and appearance? Can we talk about it real quick? It's okay for a man to acknowledge that another man is handsome. And that doesn't mean you're attracted to him. He's handsome. Again, we're all beautiful. We're all made in the image of God. But some of us are more handsome than others. Some of us are in better shape than others, whatever the culture's kind of deciding what shape and form is. Because back in the day during the Renaissance period, the women, they had a form that was more hefty than today. And people wanted, because that meant prosperity. But back now, people want to, uh, uh, anyway, Pastor, get out of there. Leave that, Pastor, leave that. Um, I just want to help somebody out. Because especially as you're young and impressionable, you may be a woman, and you see a man that's handsome. Then you see a woman that's beautiful. And just because you see that that woman is beautiful, that does not mean that you are bisexual. That just means, man, she's beautiful. But the liar will say, because you acknowledge or see beauty in someone of the opposite sex, that either means you're homosexual, lesbian, or bi. No, that just means I'm someone who acknowledges beauty. So may the Lord destroy that lie for many of us who have struggled with that, okay? Now, it is implied when Jesus says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's implied he's talking about men, okay? Doesn't say it specifically, but it's implied that he's speaking about men. But Jesus could have used a woman in this sermon, when he made this point, he could have said, if a woman lusts after a man, and not just if someone lusts after a woman, but if a woman lusts after a man, she's committing adultery with him in her heart. Pastor, why you say that? Because it happened. And it happens today. A lot of times, brothers get the rap as if we're the only ones with a, 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 an eye that goes wandering. But sisters have wandering eyes too. Yeah, we're not going to be chauvinistic. That's just men that have that problem or men that have that struggle. But it's sisters too. That makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> Pastor, how you know? Genesis chapter 39, verses 6 through 7. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. There it is. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. So Mrs. Potiphar saw this fresh meat in the house. Young man. And I have to believe that this was not the first time she did this. I believe those other servants in that house knew what she was about. But she saw a new guy and she cast longing eyes on him and said, come on. Now, now, let me stop and pause here. Not many of us will just get these kind of opportunities given to us, but we don't have to do much work except receive. Others of us got to try to work, 
when we were lost, when we didn't know Jesus. We, we work to get these kind of opportunities. But some of us, because we are handsome and good looking and fall, stuff just get presented to us. And if your heart ain't right, you're going to fall. What did Joseph do? He ran up out of there. He said, it's not right. I have everything in this house but you. I don't want you. <sighs> Lord, I could chase it. We'll, we'll deal with that Wednesday, babe. So here's a hermeneutical hint. Just because Jesus doesn't miss, mention something specifically, that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't address it directly. A lot of people, they're hermeneutic. Well, Jesus didn't talk about that. Does the Bible talk about that? Just because he doesn't talk about something specifically doesn't mean the Bible doesn't address it directly. So he didn't mention a woman here, but the Bible does. And so if you're listening to him and you know the law, then hopefully some conviction came rather than pointing and saying, uh, uh, Elmo, get your life together. Uh, uh, Chris, get your life together. No, you got to look at yourself. Oh, my God. Before Adam sinned, his eyes were satisfied in his wife, and her eyes were satisfied in him. Because remember, when he saw her, he said, this is now. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called. Whoa, man. Look at here, look at here, look at here. And the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. But then chapter 3 happens. The serpent comes. They're deceived. She's deceived. They eat from the tree. They sin. Their eyes are open now. And what was once beautiful and no shame, there is now shame and they're covering it up now. And as a result of that, Proverbs 27, 20 lets us know that hell and destruction are never full. And neither are the eyes of man satisfied. So from that time, our eyes find no satisfaction in the things we look at. We deceive ourselves in thinking we'll be satisfied once we take this last look at this person or at this car or at this house. Or if I get that car, that person, that house, I will be satisfied. But when you get those things, you still look at others. Hell and destruction are never satisfied neither are the eyes of man all of us are guilty all of us are lawbreakers all of us have sinned and all of us need a savior we do to rescue us jesus didn't come to bash us he came to free us and if you're under conviction today good he's convicting you because he loves you he loves me, and he wants us to live a certain way, not where we are ruled by our fleshly appetites, which are natural, but to be ruled by the spirit of God, which brings life. Well, thirdly and finally, I, I got to go here. The, the, the lesson to be learned, Jesus says in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. 
all right, Jesus, uh, you gave me the letter of the law. You, you've given me the look of lust. You've talked about it now. And now what's the lesson to be learned? Well, the thing about lusting is that lusting leads to touching. Goes from the eye to the hand. It, it always progresses. And lusting and touching leads to the act of adultery. And adultery will bring hell into your life. You think you're in a love triangle. No, you're in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> Sin makes you stupid. You think you won't get found out. You, you, you think it's innocent. You think it's playful. What, whatever. Sin makes you stupid. And when it comes time to get the repercussions of sin. Sin will always pay back more than we ever could imagine. Do you notice how when Jesus talks about this, when he's talking about lust, it's in the context of hell. Two times he mentions hell. And where there's hell, there's fire. So if you live like this, if you don't stop it, you let it keep going, you're going to introduce hell into your marriage. You're going to introduce fire into your marriage. And then again, we'll be going to verses 31 and 32, and you'll be meeting with the pastor determining if you have grounds for divorce because of sexual immorality. But let me say something about this. Let me say something. Lust is fiery. Love is fiery. We confuse the two. There's good lust and, and there's bad lust. There's good fire. There's bad fire. Walk with me for a second. One of our homes had a fireplace, a real fireplace. Not the logs thing, you turn the switch on and all that gas. No, real one, i go to Kroger and get the logs in the store. I didn't go out chopping trees. I would get those logs, <laughs> set them on fire on the corners, and the fire would start burning. It's beautiful to watch a fire burn in your home in a fireplace. Especially if it's cold outside, if it's, if it's snow outside. Man, the, the ambiance, man, the, the way it sets the mood in the house. Whoa, that's cool, man, when you have a real fireplace. That's a good thing. But it becomes a bad thing when the fire starts burning in other places in the house besides the fireplace. A bad fire at your house is when the fire burns the house down. I have fire for my wife. And she got fire for me. Oh! But it's dangerous if the fire leaves the fireplace of marriage and goes out into unfaithfulness with somebody else. It'll burn your house down. Y'all know I like reading comic books. I could quote Origen right now, one of the early church fathers. I'll do that Wednesday and impress you with my intelligence. But I'm going to keep it right down here for y'all with comic books. Anybody ever heard of the Fantastic Four? 
the thing, Mr. Fantastic, the invisible girl and the human torch. They got their their powers when they went into space and they were hit with cosmic rays and came back to Earth and they all had these powers, different powers. Well, one of them, Johnny Storm, was a human torch. And the way he would get that fire lit was that he would say, flame on! And his entire body would be engulfed with flames. Flame on! And the fire would engulf his entire body body. Now, in order to get the flame to go off, he would say, flame off, flame off, and the flame would be put out. There's some men and women up in here right now, you on fire. You on fire. The flame is on. But you don't have a fireplace. What are you going to do? It's natural. These feelings, you know, of of being a sexual being, that's not all that you are. When we talk about this next week, there's so much more to you than sex. Over 1 Corinthians 7, man, if you're burning, get married. I'm burning, but I don't have no prospects, Pastor. (laughs) What? am I supposed to do? You got to do like the human torch and say with your mouth, flame off. Flame off. Oh, my temperature's rising. Oh, look at him. Look at, flame off. Because if you don't say, flame off, you're going to get burned. They're going to get burned. Stuff going to get burned up. Flame off. For how shall a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? Flame off, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Flame off, but walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Flame off. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman avails much. Flame off. I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Flame off. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Flame off. Treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Flame off. How shall a young man make his way pure? By taking heed to the word of God. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Flame off. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of his body, but he who commits fornication sins against his own body. Flame off. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he will, with the temptation, make a means of escape so that you might be able to bear it. Flame off. If your right eye offends you, cut it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Flame off. Flame off. Now, Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. 
That's what Orijan did. He's not saying to literally take your eye out. Because if you take your right eye out, you can still sin with the left one. Am I right? Left-eyed lust. You can take both eyes out and still commit adultery. Ray Charles, anyone? <laughs> you cut your right hand off and still be trying to hold on to the sisters with your left hand. So he's not saying to actually do that. He's using what is called hyperbole. It's a way of saying, look, 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 this is so major. I'm going to stretch the illustration so that you get the point here. You need to have a radical approach to righteousness. You need to do whatever you got to do. So in our culture, I got a couple C's, man. I, I'm done. My time is up. I'm sorry, y'all, but, but I'm a to C's. Let's start with the cell phone. It's a gateway to trouble a lot of times. It can be a tool that is used properly or it can be a tool that is misused. And it's a gateway where you can go to a lot of places and call a lot of people that you don't need to be calling. Cell phone. If you are married, you're in a covenant. Does your spouse have the freedom to look at your cell phone at any time? Do they know your password? If they can't look at your phone anytime and they don't know your password, y'all got a trust problem. You might need to, if, you, if you've walked to some places and you know, man, whew, it's not good, you might need to change your cell phone number so that that person doesn't have easy access to you anymore. But we lie to ourselves and say, it's not that bad, I can handle it. Have you told your spouse about it? No. Got to check that cell phone. Another thing you got to check is that computer. Has you surfing and going places that are drown you. If you got to put a block on your computer or, or some kind of software on your computer to keep you from going places, talking to people, you got to do that. That's taking out your eye or cutting your hand off. Uh, uh, cable, television. Bringing it into your house. If you got to watch something that you can only watch when nobody's in the house, you don't need to watch it. I'm talking to myself. I get tempted. When you get tempted, you always look this way. You look that way. But we don't look that way. You're not the first stupid person that God has worked with. And neither am I. He's seen this before. But we want to act like, no, not us. Another C is conversations. He is at your job. She is at your job. They're at your church. And you have conversations where you're flirting and saying things you know you should not be saying. You like the way he or her makes you feel when you talk to him. You just find yourself floating over to that desk or, or having a conversation with them. You're setting some lust upon that person. And you got to be honest with yourself. And you got to cut that off. My, my, my. What's the other C? 
cutting folks off. I remember early on in the church, <laughs> my wife would, would, would say to me after church, we, we talk on Sundays, you know, and she would say, uh, Chris, I don't know about that lady right there. She seemed like she's in your face too much. Just watch that. Just, just, just watch that. Just, and I'm like, super spiritual. <laughs> no, babe, no. No, not at all. No, I... She came seeking of the Lord. and uh, <laughs> Your wife know you better than anybody else. And she know what other people going to like in you. So, so listen to her when she said she... Now, that doesn't mean ladies be insecure. Every time your husband talks to somebody, he's not cheating, okay? So, so again, it's, it's a balance in this thing. Oh, man, I'm on thin ice. My time is up. I'm going to hear about it in staff meeting. I'm sorry. But the question is, have you learned your lesson? As a pastor, I've walked with people through adultery. People don't always learn the lesson. They're repeat offenders because they don't repent. They don't cut it off. They don't make changes. They don't produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The heart, something is wrong with the heart but I've seen couples survive adultery. Adultery is not the unpardonable sin. You can make it through adultery. Couples in this church have. It's not the end all be all. It's not the definition of your marriage. The love of God is. So we talk today about the letter of the law, the look of lust and the lesson to be learned because sanctification is not God doing it for me. It's God doing it in me and doing it with me. That's the walk every day. He's not going to zap us and say, lust be gone. Lust will be gone when you gone in the ground. It's in your flesh. It's in your heart. But the spirit is there too, working against what's there. And we have a choice. I will submit to the Lord. Ah. Lord, I lost that battle. Oh, God, my mind went, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I repent, Lord, and I come back to you. One of the greatest pieces of advice I ever received was from an old preacher, an old preacher. I'm at a conference with a bunch of other young preachers. This old preacher looks out to the group, puts down glasses, looks over the rim of the glasses, and he says, yes. You are men of God, but you're also men. Don't forget that. You see, David was a man after God's own heart, but he forgot that when he was on that rooftop lusting after Bathsheba. Because let a man who thinks he's standing take heed lest he fall. I need you, Jesus. Deliver me from temptation. That's also in the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you, God. Would you stand with me for prayer? What I love about Jesus, he knew I couldn't keep this law, but he kept it for me. 
Pastor, what do you mean? He never sinned by letter or by spirit. And uh, so he kept that law on our behalf. Romans chapter 8 talks about that too. He fulfilled that law. So I don't need to try to fulfill it. And he died for lawbreakers who couldn't fulfill it. So I find everything about myself in him. He kept what I couldn't keep. And he died for what he didn't do. The law is fulfilled in him. And my life is fulfilled in him. I'm just going to walk with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus knows all about our struggles. And what you may not be struggling with today doesn't mean you won't be struggling with tomorrow. I want to have the posture of prayer like the sinner did in the temple and not like the Pharisee in the temple. Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. With every head bowed and with every eye closed. I know you needed this word today. You need healing. Lust has been consuming you more than the love of God. A love for God, a love for your neighbor that is pure, right, good, and just. God stopped by today just to remind you not to live in lust, but to live in the love of God. He stopped by today. He warned you today. Stop that. Cut that off. Change your behavior. He stopped by today to warn you. He gave you a word today. But Pastor, you just don't know. My marriage is not fiery anymore. I wonder why. If it was fiery before, it can be fiery again. We just got to identify what has come in to distort and disrupt and even desecrate what's happening in the covenant. Father, we give ourselves to you. and We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you sent your son. We need him today. I'll be around after church when I give the benediction if someone just wants to pray. I'll have my mask on. I'll be here. My leaders will even come if you need prayer. Our elders and their wives, if you just need some prayer, and that doesn't mean something is wrong, we got to get over that in the house of God. We need to pray. Because God, we're looking to you, the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that's working within us. To you be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Can you give God a hand praise for his grace, for his mercy, for his love for you? Amen. And uh, give somebody a holy kiss, a holy kiss before you leave. Amen. Have a blessed day. I'll be here. The elders will be here. We'll pray with you. It could be about a number of things, but we'll be here.